Atheists know there is no God, like they know aliens do not exist. Except some people think aliens exist and have committed many billions to proving they do. Atheists know there is no absolute knowledge or truth, because to know something absolutely would translate into an absolute faith in what is known absolutely. Atheists know what they know, absolutely without doubt. Atheists make unlimited claims about the impossibility of absolutes. They can and do, do this, because they lack the tools needed to falsify their claims. Atheists can be as dishonest, inconsistent and as contradictory as they need to be, because they lack a falsifiable position. In the atheist world, lies are not falsifiable. In physical reality there is no absolute truth and therefore no concrete lies. In a physical reality in which everything is the result of a previous cause, there is no absolute right and wrong and certainly, no good and evil. In a physical world each person has an opinion. Some people have the physical or administrative power to enforce their opinion, but many others do not. If you have power sufficient to impose your opinion onto the rest of society, your opinion can be turned into a law. A law is a regulation for everyone to follow. If one lacks physical power, one has the option of becoming a social media influencer. The justifier for the atheist position is thought, by atheists, to be science, which fails to support most of the claims atheists make for it. There is no wall between science and Christianity and no truth in science that makes Christianity untenable, though this is the assumption atheists make. There is a lot of subjective impressions used by atheists to buttress up their otherwise unscientific and unphilosophical positions. But to say science has proven anything, let alone that faith is unwarranted, is the epitome of subjective thinking posing as an intellectual position. It is obvious that atheists cannot falsify Christian theology, though it has a falsifiable component. It is not a matter of disproving God. There are two distinct ways of disproving Christianity without having to prove a negative. One is by demonstrating with absolute certainty that metaphysical claims have no meaning. The logical positivists attempted this and demonstrated their proposition was demonstrably an error. The other method of disproving the value of Christianity is by proving no one has faith and so faith is categorically impossible and a null class or empty class. But how do we disprove that which rejects the possibility of validation or falsification? Atheism argues it is merely the possession of doubt. Until Christians can dispel the possibility of doubt, the atheist can claim he or she occupies the class of things that doubt. Yet, science does not reject hypotheses or theories, it replaces them. Science does not discard a theory because it is doubted. If Christianity is a theory about the world, it cannot simply be rejected because it is not universally embraced. It has to be replaced with a better option based on measurable criteria. Atheists cannot replace Christianity and indeed have no grounds for doing so other than their self-professed capacity to doubt. By their own admission, atheism has nothing to offer us that a justification for abandoning Christianity and all of its benefits, based on an irrational standard that is imposed on nothing else. 
Christianity promises to destroy all fortifications and strongholds. Atheists believe their own capacity to doubt is a fortress that no amount of faith can overcome. This much is true, no one can be forced to believe. The Bible reports that there are people who God blinds to the truth. There is some danger in praying for the salvation of people. They may not be picked for salvation. However, individual doubt is not a fortress. The fortress is the atheists claim that doubt is a viable attack on Christianity. This would mean that doubt would be sufficient to overthrow the state, divorce one's spouse, or cease to pay one's debt. It would also mean any scientific theory that could not be proved absolutely, beyond the capacity for criticism, must be discarded. It is not a high bar to reach, it is a bar impossible to get over. The atheist claimed that personal doubt is a sufficient basis of universalizing the removal of an idea from social discourse ought to be applied to atheism. Perhaps atheists are Kantian. Perhaps they think if they doubt Christianity the doubt will serve as a universal template on how we are to live. But what does this doubt consist of? Secularists claim they are not convinced that God exists. Skeptics establish a threshold in which the cost of conversion is an event that is technically impossible to attain. The threshold of belief, for an atheist, would be akin to Jesus coming down in a cloud of fire with all the hosts of heaven surrounding him. Indeed, this is what the Bible says will happen to force even the most radical of atheists to accept the truth of Jesus. When he returns every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At least on this point, atheists and Christians agree. The return of Jesus will be an event of such significance it will constitute proof to all who witness it, but it will then be too late. It is enough for atheists to doubt the evidence to reject the argument. For them their doubt justifies their denial of God. Skeptics are skeptical about everything other than their own supreme ability to doubt. In this their faith knows no bounds. Skepticism is an oxymoron because one cannot be skeptical about doubt. Indeed, it takes the confidence of a dogmatist to be a skeptic. But no amount of analysis will sway a secularist, because their faith and their doubt forms an impenetrable shield against evidence. Indeed, to tell secularists skepticism is oxymoronic is to become incoherent, because atheists do not think in terms of logic let alone logical coherency. Secularists are phenomenologists who see reality as a substrate which enables brains to take pictures. The eye is understood to be a camera and their brain an observer of pictures. To claim God exists is to turn their eyes towards something that does not register on their brain as a picture. Proving to an atheist that God exists is similar to proving to a camera that information exists. The camera sees words and can take pictures of books and pages, but words are the same as a tree. Concepts and meaning cannot be seen by camaras and absolutes cannot register on the mind of an atheist. However, this is probably the least of our problems. The fact that we even talk to atheists is problematical. What is worse is that we seek to find common ground with them. This is like the sighted seeking to find a common language with the blind. 
there is an unbridgeable division between us and them. If we can negotiate with the unbeliever, either they are godly or we have overestimated our separation from them. Therein is the problem, they reject us even as they envision a reconciliation. We are the lost sheep taken and by religion. They are ready to negotiate and seek common ground. The fact that Christians might in some cases remain recalcitrant and obstinate about some issues, is not a cause for concern. They will continue to negotiate and help us work through the remaining issues until a resolution is achieved. Satan's people are nothing if not agreeable. They are even willing to vote on the issues that divide us and let the majority decide a common policy. But Satan can rely on people drifting towards the lowest common denominator. There is no election that will choose to implement the fundamental word of God. Liberalism is about freedom and liberty. Democracy, as the voice of the lowest common denominator, is the favored way to ensure people have the most freedom. But if you are faced by life in jail, a toss of the dice or long drawn-out negotiations to decide your actual term would be in your best interest. No outcome would be worse than the lifetime in jail you already faced. The probability is you would end up with something less than a life sentence without risking having a worse outcome. Under the righteous law of God, we are required to pay our own way. We have to create value to receive things of value. There is no freedom in reality in the sense there is a right and wrong answer. The concepts of freedom and liberty unlink us from the absolute word of God. But nothing is more resisted by the devil than the idea of a right and wrong and a distinct line between them. Christians are obliged always to do what is right. The most effective way of denying the need to do what is right is by claiming there is no right answer, no moral absolute. By claiming right and wrong are relative we must choose how we act based on how what we do impacts us individually, racially, sexually, or politically. If there is no objective right and wrong, we are forced onto an intersectional way of thinking. We end up fighting for things that will benefit us and the groups we identify with. But this is what the devil wants. He wants us arguing about who has done what to whom and who owes what to whom. He does not want us to have an objective sense of right and wrong nor the ability to reconcile accounts. But without this ability to record costs and earnings we cannot know right from wrong. If you wanted to sum up the devil's work, there is no better way than saying he has spent his life preventing mankind from reconciling our accounts. Satan teaches us how to fix the books. Babylonian accounting makes us think we are turning a profit, but we are losing our souls. The lie the devil teaches us, is there is no means to determine right from wrong in a verifiable way. Right and wrong, says the devil, are subjective impressions. When someone tells us we are wrong, it is merely their opinion. The Bible, says the devil, is as often wrong as right. It has no universal or absolute truths. It is the opinion of old men, writing in ancient times about things colored by their time and place. But right and wrong are not subjective. When we are judged in the book of life our accounts are reviewed. Our actions have measurable consequences, and these can be given actual values according to the costs they impose on others.
the world calls non-payment of expenses the externalization of costs, some call it freeloading. Regardless of the term used, when we do wrong costs are externalized onto the accounts of society and future generations. This is all there is to know about evil. When we do not pay our costs, they must be paid for by others, this defines what is evil. All welfare and repartitions are evil in the sense these are not payments made as acts of charity, but payments of subjugation and oppression by those who do not have the authority to impose costs onto anyone else. But this system makes it impossible to develop a system of accounts that can be reconciled. This is why a priori nation argues for the establishment of a nation based on accounting. The Bible describes a nation and the only possible solution to the problem of unreconcilable accounts. We either live with injustice in the present system or we create a new nation under God, a nation in which accounts can be reconciled. The power of the a priori nation is that we make a clear distinction between what belongs to God and what belongs to man. Without this the ability to keep accounts is impossible. What is a nation but a system of accounts? What is a system of accounts but a way to define right and good from what is wrong? We can own only what we create. We do not own what was created by others. This exclusion includes the natural world because reality is created by God. The only thing humans have a claim to is the value they add to assets. But this means nations built on a model of ownership that permits humans to own what belongs to God, are unbiblical. When we work, we add value to assets. People who add value to assets ought to be paid for the work they do. But no human has the authority to decide the value of labor. We do not own the assets to which work adds value to. This truth represents an insurmountable problem for both capitalist and communist. The state nor its agents have the right to claim they own what God created. The church must create a superordinate agency to oversee accounts, meaning the conventional church is ordinate to the accounting authority. This is the nation. The nation is the accounting agency in charge of the people's accounts. It is when we are all members of the church, working for the nation that holds the collective accounts we can begin to do the will of God as the people of God. The a priori nation quantifies the lie by representing what happens when sin is defeated and moral perfection is established. It must be done as a nation under God.